Welcome to the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, and this podcast is all about helping men to become unstuck in their lives and inspire and encourage them to move forward towards a life of strength, confidence, and inner fulfillment. So without further ado, here is today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Good day, everyone. Today, I am joined with Dr. Cassie Klein, all the way from Australia. How are you, Cassie? I'm well, Gavin. How are you? Very good. Very good. Thank you. So before we get deep into discussion, I want to give you the opportunity to firstly introduce introduce yourself, tell everyone who you are and what you're all about. I will. Thank you. Um, I appreciate this opportunity. It's an absolute honor to be here. Um, and I love having these kinds of discussions because they're, they're so important. Of so for anyone who doesn't know me, um, my name is Dr. Cassie Klein. Call me Cassie. I'm a medical doctor working in mental health in Australia. And I also work part-time online uh, in this space under the banner of Blokes in Mind. Uh, and, and Blokes in Mind is really an extension of my passion for men's mental health. So it's a space where I get to wear the hat of being a men's mental health advocate or, or just a men's advocate and also um, a relationship coach for men. So that's my online space and, and I'm on you know social media and all of that. And yeah, so, so that's really a very brief summary <laughs> of what Brilliant. I get up to. Brilliant. And, and I think it's uh, very timely to, to have you on here as a guest in the podcast because there are a lot of men struggling at the moment and i can i can tell you that from uh, yeah. first-hand experience from a lot of the guys that approach me and reach out to me there's a lot of men stuck in a rut at the moment yeah. with everything that's happened in the last year however perhaps there's been a lot of issues that have accumulated throughout their past and covid and isolation has perhaps tipped them over the edge as such so What's been your experience in the last 12 months, say, with, with working with men? What have you seen as a common trait in your line yeah. of work? And, and what's, what do you feel is happening in the world right now in terms of, of men and, and men's health? Yeah, well, so much. And you're, you're definitely on the money there in terms of how COVID has impacted uh, men and women, but men to a much larger degree, I think, in many ways. And we can we can talk about why that is. But something like a pandemic, you know, when we, we look at the root of that is it really forces us to separate ourselves, to isolate ourselves. And it's not just from the physical contact and all the physical measures, you know, it's it's social isolation, it's it's disconnection. We're getting put into our own worlds, really. And issues that we see, you know, we're kind of forced to stop. I don't think in any, you know, any part of my lifetime, certainly, and, and for a lot of others, we've never really been forced to just stop. And what happens when we stop is that we're kind of bombarded with all the things that haven't been addressed or all the things that we kind of push aside. And and on top of that, you know, compounding our own issues is you know, the, the job losses, um, the, the health concerns, the impact on the mental health, and then the incredible um, intensity, increase in the intensity of relationship conflict. So mm -hmm. we're really being thrown into each other's space and with that stress and everything. So yeah, the whole range, everything you can think about, you know, everything that's going to be kind of uh, stressful and, and threatening to our mm. mental health is thrown at us, you know, yeah. all of a sudden. And so that's been so challenging across the board. Yeah. A couple of the benefits, I suppose, is because so much has gone online. A lot of people have been able to access support and access groups and men's mental mm -hmm. health talks and things yeah. that maybe before they didn't even have the time to talk about. So mm -hmm. there are a few benefits, but yeah. wow, it's been really challenging. Yeah. yeah, big time. And I feel it's perhaps, perhaps it's exposed a lot of issues that a lot of men have been mm -hmm. perhaps carrying throughout the years. Yeah. And over the last 12 months, they've just been in a very vulnerable place and they're unsure as to as to how to navigate beyond this current challenge or or the uh, the challenges of the past that weren't dealt with have have followed them up to this point. Whereas before, perhaps they had 
they had their routine, they had their their work, they had their social outlets to perhaps somewhat distract themselves from those issues. And now those things have been taken away from them. They're completely exposed with with all these challenges and all these perhaps uh, painful events that have happened in their life that it's just all come come back to, mm-hmm. to haunt them in their in their isolation in their in their lonely space so have you had any dealings with, with men in that situation how can they navigate from from that position where they feel completely as if as if the world has just fallen down on top of them mm. like what is the next step forward from there yeah. do you feel yeah so I mean there's nothing more challenging than when we're forced to stop and all those underlying issues really come to the surface and you're, you're right in that way and if that is you know something that a man experiences you know he's he's at home these things are coming up from the past the only way I see that we can really work through that, you know, we can read all the self-development books in the world. We can we can start optimizing our self-care, and that's great and it's important. But really, you know, the last era, the last sort of decade or two decades ago, we've really been focusing on on personal development. It's very mm-hmm. focused on the self. You know, how can I get better and and power on through this? And this is a time now where we are underestimating the power of connection. And I think it's it's probably the most powerful thing that we can do if we really are struggling and we really need help. It's sort of, it's reaching out. And I think we should come back to this down, down the track, why that is so kind of cliche. Um, all the, the poster boards are kind of like, speak up, reach out. And as though it's just that simple. And for men, it's really not. It takes an immense amount of strength and bravery to reach mm-hmm. out because of the stigma and, and all the things around that. But luckily for us, I think our society is transforming, albeit slowly, um, but it's transforming in terms of support groups. And yeah. it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be a psychologist and a therapist. That's very helpful. But it can also be men's groups where it's a bit more casual. You know, it's yes. a little bit more community and support. Mm-hmm. And I would say that reaching out is the most powerful step and connection yeah. is, is really helpful. Yeah. But it's not to say it's not challenging to do that very challenging i can tell you that from my own experience and yeah um perhaps the expectations that have been laid upon us from our peers from our parents from our fathers from role models Mm -hmm. to to behave in a certain way as a man to be strong not to be vulnerable not to show signs of weakness and reaching out and asking help for a lot of men does seem like a sign of weakness and Mm -hmm perhaps that's what holds them back from from that from that defining moment and from what's actually necessary to do so that the ego gets in the way the pride gets in the way but you know the ego and pride have been have been perhaps placed there by by their peers or by the role models or what 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 that individual has perhaps experienced in his own upbringing so in your own opinion how do how do do we encourage men to reach out more? Like, how do we encourage them to to see beyond their pride and, and ego and and reach out and actually seek help? What's what do you feel is the process there, or the best approach to take when it comes to actually reaching out? It's a good question. I, I think it is unique to each person and their own experience. But I suppose, firstly, it's also deeply understanding that we may have been fed these societal messages around opening up um, and, and that the reason why you're struggling, you are struggling to open up is not a weakness either. And that the reason it's so challenging is because firstly, we have these, as men, you have these external resistances to opening up because, because of, like you say, that message in society that um, somehow um, weakness has been equated to expression of negative emotions. And so therefore, you know, in order to be male, you have to be strong and therefore repress all of your emotions. And so that is this message that that men are really fed right from a young age. You know, it's the sort of the whole idea of, you know, don't be such a girl, you know, don't cry, man up, all of these things really right from a young age are are employed. And and even even in a sense from family members and from friends where there comes an age for for a man or for a boy where he realizes suddenly he's not getting that same kind of 
emotional regard than an f- equivalent female might get. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and unfortunately, it even comes through from other females to males. You know, females have these expectations that males are the emotional rock at all times. And, um, and so that message is really powerful. And even though we have all these posters up there about speaking out and all of that, that external resistance, we can't deny that it's still there in a ground level. And what happens is when we grow up, that societal message, we absorb it. We absorb it in our own psychology and it becomes our own inner critic It's the basis of shame. So we absorb that shame and it becomes our own inner critic. So what happens is now you might have a negative emotion. And on top of just acknowledging that this is going to be a challenge to speak up about, it's also acknowledging that your own voice is saying, why do I have negative emotions? Why Why do I feel this way? You know, I should just be over it. I should just be stronger. What's wrong with me? And so there's two resistances there. There's your your own internal resistance and then there's the external resistance resistance Mm -hmm. and so so reaching out really takes firstly and acknowledging that it's not your fault it's not your fault um that you know the the range of human emotions is really vast and every single human being on this planet will experience that entire range and it's extreme it's normal it's totally human to have all these emotions and to struggle at times to feel you know sadness grief loss all of these emotions are normal And so accepting that, so accepting that internally, and then it's about seeing where you can reach out externally in a way that has the least resistance. Mm -hmm. So for example, if your most intimate partner is very critical of when you, you bring your struggles or your stress home, then maybe that's not the first place to go because you know that probably, you know, opening up your most vulnerable part in that sense is going to be thrown back at you. And that's going to make you shut down even more and that shame and everything comes back. So maybe in that case, it's going to be reaching out to a third party, you know, to a men's group online via Zoom, you know, or to your GP to get, you know, some psychology support or to a counsellor or to another mate, you know, another friend who is emotionally a bit more warm and, you know, someone that you trust. Mm-hmm. And so it's up to the, each individual to make that very conscious decision of, of where their their next step is mm-hmm. to reaching out. It's probably it's, the best. It's really uh, yeah. about your environment, isn't it? And yeah. you mentioned something there in terms of uh, the relationship. A lot of men are in relationships and are not seeking the support from their, from their spouse. Yeah. Often criticized, often mm-hmm. criticized for not showing up perhaps in the relationship and the marriage criticized for what they're not doing, criticized for not putting bread on the table with all that's happening at the moment. A lot of men have lost their jobs. So how do you navigate beyond that very tricky situation where you're actually living with this person, you're sharing their life with them and it becomes a very toxic environment perhaps because what what the criticism, you start to perhaps resent that person, you start to create a distance and it starts to create a lot of further friction and conflict within the relationship because perhaps your needs are not being met, perhaps because you're not being understood, you're mm-hmm. being judged before you're understood, you're not given that space to perhaps express yourself and maybe you, you don't feel it's a good space to express yourself. So. That becomes a very um, a very tricky situation to navigate, I feel, because this is your spouse, this is a relationship, it could be a wife, someone you've committed your life to. Mm. So there's a lot of expectations in that alone. And as I said, as a husband, as a father, you're expected to fulfill certain duties that perhaps you feel you can't you can't reach or can't or can't make happen at the moment. So uh, where do you go from from that point when your uh, when your spouse is uh, is not supportive, yeah. is not understanding? Again, it's it's very dependent on the relationship, and I agree it's really tricky and it's an extremely common situation where the man is on that receiving end of this phenomenal amount of pressure 
pressure to provide, pressure to put food on the table, you know, pressure to be that emotional rock, pressure to be, you know, the, the one who's got everything sorted and organized in the household and to always be there for everybody else and, you know, work your nine to five and come home and help with the kids and be all of these other things and keep on top of your health. And I think the pressure on men is phenomenal in this day and age and it's really entirely underappreciated and in many cases you know having to deal with that criticism and judgment is so so challenging if you're not feeling heard by the significant other because they don't understand the challenge that you're facing they don't really you're not being seen and heard and understood mm -hmm. so you know again it comes back to where can you find a release valve like a you know taking the pressure off in another space with different people and and getting sort of support from other men where you can vent and work through those emotions because you know that you can't direct that into your intimate relationship because that yeah. just builds more contempt and more fuel to the fire and so it's finding an alternative way of getting support and then really you know if if it's a really really difficult conflict and, and it's becoming really toxic and damaging to both of you. Um, it, it comes to having a conversation around getting support for both of you where something like couples therapy can be helpful just so that it's not just you kind of trying. And this is often what happens. Unfortunately, women have high expectations, especially in relationship and marriage um, and in many ways have a position of privilege around you know, being allowed to have those expectations and men feel that they have to keep working at it, keep working at it, keep working at it. And uh, and in many cases, they're the only one who's really trying to overcome those barriers mm -hmm. until they, you know, get so fed up, it, it might end up in something like a divorce. And only then do the woman turn around and be like, oh, what? <laughs> you know? yeah, and yeah. so, and so that's why help getting that sort of support early on can help. So it's not sort of five or 10 years of that contempt and resentment building up because it can get to a point where there's just no going back, you know? Yeah. And so getting that support, couples therapy can be helpful because you get both aspects, you get both mm -hmm. of you working on it together. Mm -hmm. But the, the full truth is that if you're the only person who's willing to work on it and the other person is not, then sometimes the best option is really going your separate ways. Not always, but sometimes that's yes. the honest mm -hmm. truth. And and in those cases, hanging on forever and ever and ever um, does more damage to our mental health than than it's worth. So, yes. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah, that's excellent. I mean the the whole premise of that as well is is perhaps a man seeking that connection, looking for somebody or 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 something that that's going to understand his issues and his problems and his struggles i think that's been one of the biggest struggles over the last year is is the disconnect you know you don't have your your same peer group around you yeah. on a regular basis you you know you might have been going to classes in the gym you've got your your peer group in there you express you know certain thoughts and certain feelings that you're going through and and even the, the, the gym was a, has been a release for for a lot of stress and yes, perhaps a lot of the yeah. struggles that, that men would be dealing with. So there is a, a disconnect there from from perhaps the resources that were available to you to to uh, to offer an outlet to your stress, but also yeah. a disconnect from the people that you trust and the people you could speak openly to over over you know, a regular basis mm -hmm. and a disconnect then perhaps with your relationship as well. And I feel, and I can, I can vouch for this. I mean, a lack of connection is something I've struggled with for, for a long time in my life without, without actually realizing it and looking for this connection in all the wrong places, you know, the women, the, you know, porn, um, trying to connect with people by pretending to be somebody I wasn't. You know, mm -hmm. using alcohol to put on this whole new persona of myself, making up a lot of bullshit stories about who I was and and who I really am, to be to, to somewhat fit in with the group, to somewhat connect with with the group or connect with certain people. So, over the last year, I think that's been a, a massive uh, issue as well for a lot of men, just becoming more disconnected from people. And from the more important things they had in their life, that those those outlets. And the unfortunate thing is, as you lose connection with those real things or people in your life, you start to look for connections in other areas, such as porn, such as 
some fantasy that you create about a woman you're following on Instagram or there's uh, the alcohol trying to connect to something there. Uh, yeah, looking for connection in all the wrong places. So what's been your experience with men who struggle with this connection and, and how do we find it again without veering down those those uh, paths that ultimately lead to a, a dead end and uh, you know these paths that are not benefiting or 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 uh, attention to to find this this connection or 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 um or route to find this connection so what's what's been your, your experience of that and how do we how do we establish that connection again when it has been lost throughout the last year in particular perhaps or at some point during a man's life even if that connection perhaps wasn't established at an early life where they didn't have the connection with their with their father with their mother so they spend their whole lives trying to find this connection again in all the wrong places what's been your experience of that yeah um we can talk a lot about connection um and, and a lot of it is also tied into addiction you know which is an, another topic we can definitely dive into um essentially connection is our primary human need and most of the time when we think about our human needs for survival we think about food and water but when we're born we are entirely reliant on our primary attachment because we're not physically able to get our own food or water. So the number one most important thing when we are born and throughout life is our, our primary attachments. It is a basic human need for survival. And it makes sense evolutionarily when you look at sort of any kind of tribal species, you know, way back in the day, without that connection, without that sense of tribal belonging, you, you might be ostracized from the tribe. On your own, you, you just wouldn't survive. And so it is a basic human need. And so, you know, if we experience this isolation or disconnection or loneliness from a young age and growing up, we sometimes miss it. We, we sometimes miss the fact that it is loneliness that is at the root of it, or it is that disconnection because we're very distracted with everything else. And we don't really feel like it's a fundamental need because of the world we live in, which one promotes that kind of each man for himself, you know, each person for themselves and personal development and, you know, make it to the top on your own above everybody else. And we've almost overemphasized other areas of health and well-being over things like connection. Um, and so, for example, when we look at sort of exercise and, and diet, very important aspects of health, but they're like the primary drivers. That's all you see in the health and wellness area. And yet we completely kind of overlooking things like connection and uh, not focusing on it very much at all. And so it's easy to forget that that is a hum basic human need. And the problem with the modern world now is that you can sit in your apartment and obviously with COVID, but in general, you know, you could watch Netflix for entertainment. You could watch porn for your intimacy needs. You could get your food delivered. You can literally live in your apartment for six months and not leave and survive. And we've created these sort of the separation as a society between ourselves and other people by technology, you know, and we get our morning coffee, um, maybe through, you know, the, the drive through and we just get it handed to us and we forget that we actually depend on people. We needed the farmer to farm the coffee beans, the water supply man to. And so, so we've lost this realization of connection. And so the first point there is sort of understanding that so much of, you know, your pain or whether it's an addiction or something is based in that sense of needing to connect. And it's not just physically connect. Um, and, and this is where we can talk about why, for example, loneliness is a real kind of pandemic for men more than women. Um, you can be surrounded by people and have friends and all of that and still feel fundamentally lonely. Um, and, and there's a couple of aspects to that. The first aspect is that emotional distance. And so if we're always putting up sort of a, a, a front where, you know, we might be feeling very stressed or overwhelmed or depressed or anxious or whatever it is, but we're sort of, you know, the, the strong, resilient, you know, we're just talking about the rugby and the news, whatever it is. And that's fine, but you'll sense that separation because there's a part of your authentic self that's kind of being held back there. And so that's why sometimes people can even be in intimate relationships. And especially if their partner, for example, isn't emotionally warm or doesn't welcome that sort of your own emotional vulnerability, you can feel alone in 
an intimate relationship where you're literally around the person all the time. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's another element to loneliness which is really important, and that's that emotional connection. And, and that is linked to our survival. So I like to think of it like this. If we talk about, we can talk about kind of, if we talk about addictions or substance use issues, we can talk about all the causes, right? We talk about, oh, there's genetic causes. We all have this vulnerability to, to this kind of um, addiction and craving. It's a part of our psychology. Um, the, the th- it's based on three elements, right? There's like a trigger, then there's a behavior, and then there's a reward. So a trigger might be, I'm feeling really stressed. Uh, the behavior might be, well, I'm going to you know, have a, a bottle of wine, and then the reward is like, I'm feeling less stressed. And so that's how we create these habits, and that's called reward-based learning. Mm-hmm. And so the thing with addiction, which is kind of missed, because we always focus on the substance and how we shouldn't be having that substance, and but we, we miss the, the deeper underlying cause. And arguably, um, what underlies that addiction is some kind of pain or, or something that's fundamentally missing on your life, or in this case, very commonly, especially for men, it's this lack of connection and this feeling of, of loneliness. So it's, you know, it's not a question of why the addiction, it's like, why the pain? And so when we look at something like craving that connection, we think, what is it? You know, what is it about substances that kind of fulfill that need in this indirect way? And I've heard some, some of my clients describe it to me. So For example, one of my clients, when he smokes a joint, it's not just soothing. It's not Mm -hmm. just like he feels a bit better. It alters the way that he experiences his emotions. And it gives him the sense of warmth or fullness, or in in this case, I would call containment. Mm -hmm. It's like, how a mother might manage the pain of her child. And so when we look at our upbringing, for example, when you're a baby, we think that babies are like, have the great, this great life and no responsibility and everything's, you know, cruisy. And it's not the case at all. It's terrifying being a baby. Everything's new. It's overstimulating. You know, you're, you've got gut problems, your guts, everything's painful. So you it's very overwhelming. And the baby relies on the mother's embrace and that comfort to help contain the baby's pain and the terror and all of that. So that's a form of containment. And so growing up, for for some of us, we didn't get that containment in our families. And so that's when we often see that that kind of anxiety creep up. And, And that can be, you know, I like to call it the nameless dread that some people experience because they just feel this constant, you know, that the pressure of the universe and, and the fear of the universe kind of comes, comes into you because from our mothers and from our, from our primary caregivers containment, we also learn how to contain our own emotions. And so, you know, our ability to kind of self-soothe in some way. So for some people who haven't had that, that familial or that family containment growing up, they're more at risk of feeling not contained and feeling that emptiness and that sort of disconnection from their upbringing. And they're more at risk of substance use issues. Or, you know, you might say, well, that's not me. I had a really good upbringing, but maybe now, maybe now in your current life, you are feeling that lack of containment. Maybe you're really alone and you don't have that emotional intimacy or whatever it is, you know, for, for whatever reason. Right now you're lacking that containment. And people don't recognize that because somehow we reach adulthood and we think we just don't really need that anymore. You know, we still fundamentally need that sense of emotional containment and closeness and connection, even when we are adults. And so that's kind of that link, I suppose, between why some people feel that these substances, whatever it could be, and usually when we talk about these substances, we think about the obvious ones, you know, alcohol, uh, cigarette smoking and illicit substances, but it can be, I mean, addiction and addiction is anything that we use in excess, regardless of the negative consequences. So it could be social media, it could be overworking, it could be pornography, um, so many different things. Um, and so in some way that is fulfilling some kind of need or something that's missing more often than not. 
it's it is a, a sense of loneliness and we can see that you know substance use issues affect men much more than women and we also see that loneliness affects men yeah. much more than women and yeah. it's not just that emotional disconnection um because of the stigma of of speaking up about these things but if you look at the life of a man um because of these pressures on him to provide and make a career for himself it's like well he leaves leaves the nest as early as he can and then he goes off to college and then he goes off to work somewhere and then he's lucky if he makes it home for you know thanksgiving and christmas because he's working so hard and so he's always at work and work colleagues don't provide that same kind of intimacy look at a woman much more often much more connected to the family home she's a so you know if she is rearing her children then she's connected to other parental you know mothers and fathers and she has those support groups around it's a very different way of being mm -hmm. and so even you know if you just take your average man um generally we see much more sort of community disconnection mm -hmm. and so that that primary sense of belonging is lacking we'd be very lucky if we still knew the neighbors that we had when we were a kid yeah. you know most of us are lacking that but for men i would argue far more so than women mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's powerful the i can relate to a lot of what you're saying there and yeah in terms of the man providing the man always working i reflect back yeah. to my own childhood and that was my dad you know yeah. absent from the family home yeah. mostly but working seven days a week uh, to provide for his family. Because again, those were the expectations that were laid upon him, perhaps from his father or from his generation. So I've adopted some of that into my own life. And it's a matter of me trying to understand it and be aware of it and try to make some, some, uh, some changes to my life so that, I'm, so that I'm seeking a bit of a better balance between work and family and, and personal life. So does it, do you feel, does it all come down to that self-awareness to understanding who you are and, and, and what you do and, and starting to understand your behaviors and, and where they're, where they're coming from. Is, is that the, the turning point do you feel, or is it something else before that? What's been your, what's been your experience with that? The first step is always, it comes into your consciousness, isn't it? So, so when, if we're stuck in certain behaviors, even if it's overworking or if it's, you know, some kind of addiction or we're just fundamentally lonely, there comes that point when that pain becomes so overt that we just can't ignore it anymore. It bubbles up from our subconscious and we're like, okay, there's a problem here. You know, it's when that, you know, that, that porn watching issue becomes so painful that it's affecting your relationships or your health or your job or whatever it is. That's when it comes up. It comes up with the pain. And so that first step is being aware of it. So, oh, okay, there's, there's something going on here. And then the second step is bringing a little bit of self-compassion or a lot of self-compassion. And that's really, really tough to do. Because when we look at any of these kinds of things, whether it's because we're really lonely, whether it's because you have some kind of addiction, what happens is there's, there's a lot of stigma, right? With any kind of mental health stuff, there's a massive stigma with addiction. Um, and so we feel a lot of shame for that. And we absorb that shame and we judge that part of ourselves. You know, I can't believe now I'm addicted to porn. You know, I can't believe now, look at me, I have no friends, I'm so lonely. I can't believe I'm feeling depressed or anxious, whatever it is. And so we really judge that thing. And when we judge something, we, we psychically, we're pushing it away from ourselves. We're like, no, I'm gonna try and just, I'm just gonna push that porn away. You know, I'm just going to push that depression aside. And we know that from the evidence and from what we've learned in psychology that the more we push against something, try and get rid of it, the more we like increasing that shame and that self-hatred, the louder it kind of yells back at us. Definitely true for addictions. And anyone who suffered from addiction would know this. The more you're kind of saying, don't do that, don't do that, you know, like a big stop sign, the more it's just coming back at you, you know, with all guns blazing. Yeah. And so that that's what makes it really tricky with that and and that's again where our self-criticism comes up so if i'm coming along as a therapist and you know i hope a therapist doesn't do this but if if you come to me with your vulnerability and say you're suffering with a porn addiction and i come along and say yeah you should stop watching that porn i'm just colluding with your own inner critic that's not going to be helpful you're like yeah well i bloody know that i literally self-denigrate myself about this every single day that's actually not going to help
And so we know that a very powerful turning point with any of this stuff, whether it's mental health or whether it's addiction, is actually being compassionate and accepting that part of yourself because it's human. We absolutely all experience this. So it's saying, okay, I've got an issue. Well, you know what? It's not your fault. That's the first step. That's really hard to hear for a lot of us. It is because I should be self-disciplined enough or just strong enough to overpower it. It's like, no, you know, there, there's underlying pain there. Mm -hmm. And so accepting that is the second point. So becoming aware of it and then accepting it. And then it's empowering yourself. That's the final step. And that's really, you know, whatever path you take to, to choose to get support with that, whether it is just reaching out to your most intimate circle, if that's safe, you know, or, or reaching out to a support group or whether it's alcohol, then it's the 12-step program or whatever is right for your situation. That's that next step. And they can help you with all of those, yeah. you know, those processes once we reach yeah. out. But if we're still judging ourselves for it, if we're still beating ourselves up for it, it's actually really hard to reach out for support. Makes yeah. it harder. You know? Yeah, I've, I can completely relate again. It's somewhere I've been, something I dealt with for a long time in my life and as I mentioned to you before, you know, at, at 18, I was involved in a serious car accident where a lady died in the scene and I was, uh, I was convicted for dangerous driving, causing death. And at 18, you're, you're just about to head out into the big bad world. And, and yeah, I took that with me from the age of 18. And again, as you mentioned, pushed it away, ignored the pain and I've said before, ignoring the pain increases your pain, which ultimately it did over a period of time. Uh, I got pretty dependent on alcohol and porn to to numb to numb the the, the, the suffering and to numb the all the feelings that 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 uh, that that entails. I mean, that was a, a huge event in my life. So, and a big thing for me was the disconnect as well and the disconnect because i felt look nobody's going to get this nobody's going to understand like what i've gone through like this is a, a huge experience like if i tell a friend about this he might listen but he's not going to get it so i kept it all to myself because i felt nobody nobody's going to understand this nobody's going to get me and that just created more disconnect more distance from the people and uh Again, as I was doing that, I was pretending that everything was was fine. I was drinking the alcohol and thinking that I was just the, the the life and soul of the party, and it was it was good fun and everything else. But inside, I was I was breaking up. I was broken in in the moments of zero distraction or of of my uh, quiet times. You know, I would be overwhelmed with with the pain from the event. And it was only after I moved away from from college and from certain peer groups and from those distractions that yeah the pain really started to surface and that's when i reached out for help and as you mentioned you get to the point where the pain is all too much to to bear and you know you've got a decision to make you can either make the choice to uh to seek help and and to somewhat understand the pain and, and move beyond it or else again could continue to distract yourself or take other drastic actions that uh, doesn't doesn't have a way back from and uh, you know that's again unfortunately a lot of people make that second choice where to end their suffering to end their life yeah. so if somebody's at that point in their life right now that the point of, of of breaking what are the words you could give them to encourage them to not make a drastic choice that that could end their life but to, to make a to make the, the right choice to help them move forward beyond their pain and, and to know that they can become a happy and, and more fulfilled individual and you know improve their their circumstances what's how do you take them from going this way to perhaps going that way mm. that's a pretty deep question but is, is there something there it's relevant it's it's so relevant and and firstly um what a phenomenal journey and and what an immense amount of pain that you've been through and and to move through that you know is is phenomenal and it takes immense strength so i just wanted to acknowledge that i think in these situations 
especially if it's a friend of ours or it's someone that you know that you trust or that you can see is really struggling the first thing is to realize that you will never understand that pain we can relate to pain we can put meaning to pain in a similar way but we'll never really feel that pain and the most powerful thing to realize is that you have to be there with that person in that pain they don't want to know your advice they don't want to just know how you can just hit the gym every morning and it'll go away or how you can just you know hide the wine bottles away or you know put all sorts of locks on your computers and then you'll be right mate because it, when people are in that depth of pain and suffering firstly they're not going to be telling you the extent so if people have opened up to you even in the smallest amount you can be pretty sure there is a tidal wave behind that and so the first step is really just saying i am so sorry for the pain i couldn't even imagine what that's like and i just want to be here for you it's just being present with someone's pain without giving advice that is by far the most powerful thing of course if they are really rock bottom and and they are talking about something like suicide you know i would really get external support because you you don't really mess around with those things you know people when they are mentioning those things they're very serious you know it mm-hmm. all wasn't serious until it actually happens mm-hmm. so seeking those crisis support lines and that at that time is is vital but in that it's not making them you know it's 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 making sure you're not separating them The truth is so many of us don't accept our own negative emotions. And so we're pushing that part of ourselves away. And so now you can understand why when someone comes to you with negative and difficult emotions, we we have it we sometimes and often society has a tendency to push them away too. That's why we have stigma. You know someone comes to you and they're depressed and you're like, "Oh, I don't want anything to do with that." "Oh, okay. No, you're not depressed. You're fine. You'll be right." And yeah. often the cause of that is because we're pushing our own stuff away. really that's the truth and so that's that distance so we're pushing everything away parts of ourselves parts of other people mm-hmm. and so the most powerful thing is to lean in it's it's in those moments where connection is literally a life or death situation in in so many cases mm-hmm. and you got to be there yeah you got to sit with them that's, that's really uh, something that uh, came to my mind there as you were mentioning that the pushing away is is this whole message out there at the moment to to stay away from from negative people because they will drain your time and energy like i mean is is that a counterproductive message is that mm. only increasing their negativity and increasing and their issues and and therefore uh and just just for the sake of making you feel better and and it's a very it's a very selfish act but again there's a big message out there at the moment too that you know you need to be a bit more selfish selfish before you can be selfless as such um now there's there, there's a there's a benefit to that i suppose but so what's your what's your take on this staying away from from negative people i mean do you need to to draw a line between you and them do you need to lean in slightly listen and then move away or do you just avoid it completely or does it depend again on on the on the circumstance if it's a friend if it's a family member again do you give them that that space or you do you create that space between both of you what's mm. what's your take on that Yeah so it depends on on a number of contexts but we can talk through them so the first thing would be of course how we define negative so for many so a lot of the message out there is like you know get rid of those negative friends and those negative people and 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 in my perception i think that that often talks to people about people that are maybe what we consider toxic and i really hate that word but let's call yeah. it toxic you know those people that are conflict driven or emotionally manipulative you know and and we have people who 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 are a little bit more where it's not so much a sort of a, a true depression you know or a true it's more of a personality thing Mm-hmm. And so if you're quite vulnerable if your if your mental health is you know something that you have to kind of protect which is a very valid thing then then you know dealing with those kind of people who really suck you in and out and and create a lot of unnecessary conflict creating firm boundaries with those people is something that you have to do to protect yourself in many ways 
Then there's the other definition of negative where maybe it's just a good friend who suddenly has become really withdrawn, very quiet, you know, just talks very negatively. And that's when you have to be like, okay, you know, this person is actually really struggling. And you're, the, the most powerful thing you can do then is ha- sit down and have a very honest conversation with them and say, look, I want, I want to lean in. I want to be there for, for you if you are in that emotionally healthy space. And if not, you can limit that. You can say, look, I see you're struggling. I'm struggling to, you know, maybe you should get some help. Um, you know, I struggle with these conversations because of my own stuff. Sharing that vulnerability can be extremely powerful. And so there's there's this kind of scale here. It's like, well, if you're feeling pretty good, you know, if you're if you're feeling quite resilient in many ways and life's going good for you, I think there's nothing, I think we shouldn't really encourage each other to be able to bring each other up because we can think about it selfishly. But in many ways, if you've helped a friend and we've all done this, we've helped friends, it makes you feel good because we are a tribal species connecting with one another, helping one another brings much reward. So if you want to be more selfish, help more people, be more kind, because it will actually make you feel better. And and, and in many other ways, you know, if, if you're the one who's struggling and th- then for you, it is important to create those boundaries, not to ignore it or completely push someone away, have an honest conversation. Um, but in other areas, if, if it's negative because it's someone who's high conflict, then you have to draw those boundaries to, to protect mm-hmm. yourself. It's really a balance. But I, I think what you're also addressing here is this whole positivity movement that we we see. And now I have nothing against sort of positive affirmations and, and all of these. It's very much in the self-development space. But what we've done, and, you know, social media has been a real culprit here too, because we just see the beautiful, wonderful, happy sides of everybody. And so the message has been, well, negative is really bad and you should always be positive. And and if you're not happy enough, then, you know, you're not good enough. (laughs) And so we've demonized having negative emotions, even though it's a completely normal part of being Mm -hmm. a human. And so what happens there is that that self-criticism and that judging of your negative part gets stronger. We feel even more shame and then when someone's coming along to you and saying, just be positive, you know, work on those positive affirmations. It's kind of like, well, the weeds are your kind of self-hate and your shame and your pain. And then we're trying to plant flowers on top of the, the weeds. Just be happy yeah. um, like everybody else. And, and I think in many ways that can be damaging too. Mm-hmm. Again, you, you suppress those negative emotions again to, to put on a front yeah. that you are happy and that you are positive instead of addressing the negative emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it, it does it come back to the expectations. Now you've got perhaps the expectations that your parents or peers had as uh, while you were growing up. Then you've got perhaps the expectations of your teachers in school or your coaches in sport. And now you've got the expectations of of this other world now, the, the social media expectations yeah. where you're expected to put up a selfie and be happy and positive but because everyone else is, is happy and positive. So... I should be happy and positive too. So again, these false expectations, which create a false persona of who you really are and what you're really struggling with. And again, you're hiding behind these masks and you're suppressing your, your struggles and, and your negative emotions, which again, increases your pain. And for men in particular, you know, it, it is that persona of, of being strong. It's the persona of having a muscular body, of, of lifting, being able to, being able to lift big weights in the gym to be masculine to be macho and being weak from my own experience as well as as a more from the playground being weak was again a sign of or being enabled was a sign of weakness where back in my back in my school days i wasn't really too good at football for example and because i was no good at football i became the outcast, like it came from a small village where if you weren't good at football, we didn't we didn't want to know about you. Like you mm-hmm. automatically became the unpopular kid. Mm-hmm. So where I'm getting with that is that yeah, you, you, you need to be seen as capable and able in order to be accepted to a certain to a certain point. Um acceptance and again acceptance comes connection, understanding. So from an earlier age, for me as well, became disconnected with that whole uh, that whole world of of, uh, of friendships and 
perhaps the loneliest in my own life kind of grew from there. And I created this false persona of myself, trying to be somebody I wasn't, trying to be macho, trying to pretend that I was confident and happy and, and strong. And yeah, ultimately a false persona that only changed and only, only became real when I started asking myself those necessary questions in terms of, okay, what is really going on here with you, Gavin? Like, this isn't you, you're not happy in yourself. You know, what, what's happening? So, yeah, for, for somebody in that position right now where they feel like that immense pressure to to be somebody that they're not, somebody who's putting on this this false perception of themselves to please other people or to meet someone else's expectations or social media's expectations, how can they how can they get in touch with their true self and, and become become real? Uh, wh- wh- what's the process there or, or the steps from that point? Is it, is, it, is it again going back to what you mentioned earlier, the self-awareness, being aware that this is this is not you, you're putting on a false persona, you're unhappy about who you truly are, so you're pretending to be somebody you're not in order to please other people and fit in and and to establish some kind of connection, although it's a somewhat broken and false connection. Does it come back to that again? Or is there something else there that needs to be considered as well? There's a few, yeah. This is the the grand question, isn't it? Because we are a very image-driven society, even more so now than ever before. And I would argue for men, I mean, that image is no less powerful than for women. If in many ways it's even more so, you know, getting strong and muscular at the gym for a man is extremely tough um, compared to, you know, the classic body positivity message that we get uh, for women, for men, the pressures are, are much higher and the expectations are there. And so all of these, you know, and then it's the money, you know, how much money do you have? And then what kind of a car you have? And so that image driven world is, is it's a strong force. And so the, the first thing to, you're right, is that self-awareness is to acknowledge, okay, what are these things that are influencing me? What is that's driving me? You know, am I working super, super hard so I can get this certain amount of money or reach some kind of platform so that I can finally be approved of? Um, you know, am I uh, going out and, and, and doing certain things so that I can be look like the guy who gets all the girls, you know, or, or look like the guy that's happy all the time? And where are those areas in my life where I'm, where I'm trying to step up and prove myself? In many ways, we all are. And it's almost impossible to go without that kind of influence. But seeing where along that sort of scale, where along my image, am I not really serving my, my well-being, you know, Am I driving myself at the gym and, you know, until I'm absolutely broken every single day? Um, and that's not really making me happy because that's not actually something that I enjoy doing. Yeah. And, and a question that we can ask, I suppose, because sometimes it is tough to get in touch with what is it that I, you know, who really am I? It's <laughs> a big question, isn't it? And, and so something that I've incorporated, which I find quite helpful is with my decisions in a day and, and and maybe your listeners can try this for a week and just see how it feels with every single decision that you make from the morning till night you can write a sticky note with this little question that you ask yourself what would someone who loves themselves do what would someone who loves themselves do and re- and genuinely sort of step into that role because so, for example, you might say, well, you know, say I'm really craving a treat, but I want to make sure I have, you know, this perfectly toned body, um, then someone who loves themselves wouldn't go for the treat. But that's not necessarily true, because maybe in that moment, you just like, well, I just I'm just craving something that's going to fill me up, and make me feel good. And I'm going to do it. But if you're reaching for that treat because, you know, you're just feeling super stressed and anxious and you know that maybe actually having that's going to make you feel worse then that's not something you're going to engage in. And then throughout the day, sometimes you'll ask yourself a question and you'll be doing something, you know, maybe you're writing notes or whatever it is that you're doing in your day and you realise fundamentally you just hate doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're, you're posting a, a picture up on social media and you're like, you know what, this makes me feel so crappy because I'm sitting here waiting for these likes and 80% of the time I don't get enough likes and it's making me feel like, 
crap. And if I actually want to serve myself, then I'm, maybe I don't need to put this picture up and, and sit there waiting for that approval. And maybe someone who loves themselves would rather go out and go for a walk or, you know, spend some time with someone that I love because that's just going to make me feel better yeah. rather than something I feel I should do. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting thing that, that maybe. Yeah, that's very good. I think, uh, yeah, that's brilliant. I think, however, the big thing with that when it comes to men, and even in you saying it, 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 that statement, do I love myself or do something, do something that some that that I love because I love myself. Um, love has a as a funny. It's got a funny uh, relationship with men. You know, it does. loving myself. Uh, almost makes a lot of men cringe. Go, yeah. hey, loving myself. Get get away from me. I don't want to know about yeah. that. Yeah. So, you're yeah, right. that you're. There's almost. That's a great great tool, but it's almost there's automatically a a, a barrier put up there where exactly. women go. I'm not gonna love myself. I'm not gonna yes. go around as if I love yes. myself. Yeah. So there is there is a lot of. Um... Yeah. that sort of thing that comes up with the self-love for men, especially I think men are very self-critical in this in this world because of the amount of pressure and the, and the amount of kind of societal messages that we give men, that sort of idea that you should just, you know, love yourself and accept yourself. It creates a lot of resistance because men are often molding themselves um, in order to fit in and be good enough for society. And so any kind of, you know, idea of actually loving yourself for who you are, it's like, well, you know, the, the first comment I often get is, but then I'm going to stop working hard. You know, why am I working hard if I love myself? I'm just going to sit back and play video games all day. And we actually know that that's not the case. If we do start, you know, inviting some sort of self-compassion, I suppose the reason that question is a little bit different. I agree. For some men, they'll listen to this podcast and be like, that's it, over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she wants okay. me to self-love. This is, this is <laughs> you know, oh, so feminine. Here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, all good. But really the question is a little different because it says, what would someone who loves themselves do? And the only reason that's slightly different is it's saying, you're not saying, well, I love myself, therefore what I'm going to do. It's saying, what would someone else, and you can maybe vision envision someone who you aspire to or a mentor who you know or who you get a sense that they're pretty comfortable with themselves that you know they're quite self-compassionate we can pick up pretty quickly actually in this you know we're very attuned to certain things and you could probably in your mind think of a couple of friends where you're like yeah you know that that guy probably isn't at such you know at war with himself Mm -hmm. to that degree and so you could even maybe think of somebody and if you don't have a friend who's like that you could think of you know a mentor or I don't know the Dalai Lama whatever it is and think you know what would somebody who has compassion for themselves do what would they do in this situation and so by doing that you're kind of saying it's not me I'm not saying I love myself because again that's just increasing that resistance you said no I don't you know but if you imagine someone else, you know, what would that person who respects themselves and has compassion for themselves, what would they do in that moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's as uh, Jordan Peterson says, isn't it? Treat yourself as if you're treat yourself as if you're treating someone you care about. Is it or something yeah. like that? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, there, that, that's pretty powerful. And I think for a lot of men, there's almost a, a willingness to or a need to punish themselves as well uh, to some degree on a regular basis where as you mentioned i'm not going to love myself because then i have to you know then i wouldn't work it's like work is almost like a punishment um you know suffering the suffering becomes something that becomes almost normal in a man's life so yeah that's a that's a pretty powerful uh, tool to use i'm sure and that's going to help out, help out a lot of men and a lot of listeners. So is there anything you want to close up on or any statement or any words of wisdom for the, for the listeners to, to wrap this conversation up? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, there's lots of things we could keep talking for ages because it's so interesting and yes, you're right. Sure. You know, firstly, for all the men out there, I think it's really important to realize that without fail, it is absolutely true that there is a phenomenal amount of pressure on the men out there right now, you know, with what's been going on with the post-feminism movement, with the increased pressures with things like the pandemic. There is an immense amount of pressure on our men. 
Um, it's something that our society, unfortunately, at the moment isn't acknowledging very much. And so if this resonates with you and if you're like, hey, you know what, actually, I'm really struggling and um, I'm feeling this pressure, it's really important to reach out to people who are kind of like-minded in that sense, you know, people who get it, people who are like, yeah, okay, you know, let's talk about men's stuff. Let's talk mm -hmm. about mental health stuff because it's so important, um, you know, just to, to bring that awareness and to realize that you're not alone. You are so not alone. I, I deal with so many men on a daily basis and it's, it's a very similar story. So you're not unique in the situation. And so, you know, looking at how can we deal with increasing our sense of connection and deal with, you know, our loneliness, if there's underlying pain, maybe we've got to go to therapy and, and work through that and, and look at the underlying issues. Um, and then lastly, you know, there's, there's other things that we can do. The other major theme that comes through is mentorship for, for men. You know, I get a lot of questions. Where do we find our mentorship nowadays where a lot of maybe the social media figures are all about money and, you know, whatever, you know, their messages, it's not always aligned with mental well-being. Mm -hmm. So I think their very specific choice of, of finding someone who, who is your mentor, maybe it's someone you know, maybe it's someone, you know, beyond your circle who aligns with something that you value, so maybe for you, that's health, maybe for you, that's your empowerment or, you know, career progression, whatever aligns with who you are, but who can also, someone that also integrates that well-being message, that mental well-being message, so that if those two things are aligned, then that can provide wonderful mentorship for the men today. And I think that that is maybe a powerful thing just to realize and, and be open to, um, especially in this day and age when we are feeling so isolated yeah brilliant cassie thank you so uh yeah just one final question as you said we could talk for ages here but just something that, that came to mind is how much weight do you put on perspective you know just change your perspective as you mentioned there's a lot of pressure on men at the moment and that you know has them stressing out but if they understand that look you've only got one life here you're here for 70 80 90 years if you're lucky 100 years perhaps the way things are going so at the end of the day the, the stress and and the, and the worries that you're feeling right now are not going to matter so much whenever you know you're on your deathbed um, and understand like you've got one life here and it's here to be enjoyed it's it's here to be to be lived it's not to be to be uh struggled with and 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 to and to uh experience a lot of pain with so how much weight do you do you give perspective and, and a change in perspective it's something i often talk about you know changing perspective instead of looking this way you know look at it in another way um so what's what's your what's your perspective on perspective i guess perspective is extremely powerful it's kind of our mind's eye upon what is actually occurring in front of us or within us or around us and in our environment. And we each have our own narrative. That's how the human mind works. We create a narrative of what we've been through, of what we're experiencing, of what's happening to us. Most of our suffering comes from that narrative. So when we look at, for example, burnout and work stress, most of that psychological impact happens when you get home and you're ruminating about it. It's that perspective when we talk about really anything when it comes to suffering it's the anticipation of pain it's um you know if someone is going to this is a really extreme example if someone's going to stab you with a dagger and they're just inches away from you the pain that you're experiencing in that moment isn't actually the dagger the dagger is not touching you it's that perspective that you know the, the, the projection forward of that dagger actually harming you and it's that perspective of suffering. Mm -hmm. Now, in saying that, it's not to disacknowledge what you're actually going through. You know, when, when we look at perspectives, it's, it's not saying, oh, you're just looking at it all wrong. Don't worry, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, it's saying it's acknowledging what's going on. And then it's saying, now, how can I shift my perspective into a position where I feel more empowered? Because it's when we're suffering and we feel powerless that we feel hopeless. 
But if we can say, look, how can I look at this in a different way that allows me to maybe make that tiny first step in towards the right direction, or maybe to make that difficult phone call, you know, to, to reach out for help. What it does is it allows us to realize that we, you know, despite the challenges in life, life will always have challenges, but we can create our own kind of prison in how we perceive those challenges and how we react to them. And so if we can shift that mind's eye in a way that allows us to actually make a change and show us that there is another way and that things will end up changing, that's the only thing we can be certain of is change. Mm -hmm. That can be something that carries you through mm -hmm. when nothing else will. A matter of choice. Yeah. yeah, the choice you make determines the, the level of suffering, level of pain, or the, or the level of happiness perhaps you could potentially have in your life. Yeah, and, and with that curiosity, you know, we can yeah. be in the pain and be in the experience, or we can be get curious about it. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been epic, Cassie. Thank you very much for coming on to the Modern Warrior podcast, and I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime in the future. Thanks so much. Have a Amazing. great weekend. Thank you. And I'll talk Thank to you Thank you, soon. Gavin. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, okay. you. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Bye.